This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora, you're listening to the locals on Free FM 89.0, called Dan Armstrong Toko Ingoa. Back in 2019, I spent a good chunk of the year focusing on public health, the result of covering the life of the late Catherine O'Regan. And we spent time on breast cancer, dementia and sexual health all within a local context. Frankly, I found it fascinating. As an epilogue to that, I really wanted to speak with Nikki Kay, former MP for Auckland Central, Government Minister, for a short time the Deputy Leader of the National Party, and most central to this conversation, fighter of breast cancer. Now admittedly I struggled with this interview. Having lost a sibling to breast cancer and my own issues with mental health, I struggled, so apologies for the average interviewing from me. I still think it's an illuminating piece about transitioning away from the spotlight and into life after politics and cancer. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals, and this is Nikki Kay. I'm really eager to start things at the beginning of your time in Parliament. So in mid-2008, there's a Herald article, and it summarises you as a curious mix of confident, determined, idealistic, wanting to make a difference, keen to hear people's stories, and keen to communicate. She peppers her sentences with, if that makes sense, unquote. Do you think that accurately summarises a fresh-faced candidate in 2008? Uh, Yes. I mean, look, I think my experience of people across the aisle, um, actually in multiple jurisdictions, is that most people come to a House of Representatives um, because they want to make change. You know, there's, there's lots of different types of politicians and the way that they think they can achieve that. But most people have that optimism and that drive um, and I certainly um, have had that throughout my political career. It's clear that you had that drive uh, because over the course of your time in uh, government, you were the minister or associate minister uh, for food safety, immigration, ACC, youth education was in there too. How does one... Uh, juggle so many roles how how do you do a million things at once well again um I consider I'm still learning um to be able to balance but I think there's there's a couple of common things I think that make a really good minister or MP one is that they can build a good team of people around them and I certainly was very blessed over a period of time to have some amazing um staff the second thing is that you have good judgment and I've seen lots of different types of people from different walks of life um, be able to demonstrate that because there might be, as I explained to officials a couple of times, you might agree with seven out of 10 of the briefings that come across your desk, but you actually get paid for the interrogation of the other three. Um, And sometimes, and there were a number of moments in my uh, ministerial career, where you're earning your paycheck when everybody's saying the ship needs to go this way and you turn it a different direction. 
So I think it's that combination of good judgment, good people around you. And then I think the other thing is um, probably getting, I learned this a bit further on building a network of people that are not just inside the building or the public service that are in the sector, um, sectors of your, your portfolios that you can call and check and, you know, that's where often the great ideas come from, um, are actually the people on the ground. I remember seeing in a few places where you had pointed out your love for education, and I, I presume you still have that now. Uh, I'm curious to know what it was like to hold that portfolio. What was it in 2017? Well, it was pretty, um, I mean, I had been associate um, education for a number of years um, as an associate to Hekia. So I understood an amount, but it's not the same as becoming the portfolio minister. Now, obviously that was a very short period, um, but it's certainly a reason why I ended up coming back from um, being sick for that. It was pretty incredible. Um, again, you know, obviously um I would have loved to have had longer in the role, but it, it was a um, a great privilege. Um, for me, it has always been a driver in my life, um, and I will continue to contribute in education. I'm really uncertain about how to start the conversation about cancer with you, coming from my position of having lost a sibling to it and your situation having battled it. Uh, how would you like to discuss it? Well, I think, um, in fact, I, I was talking to someone this evening who's just been through it. I think for most people who are diagnosed, and obviously, um you know, a number of people get through it. Some people don't make it through it. That's the reality. Um, but it's it's a life-changing event. Um, I've said before, um, it's horrific. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Just the, um, it'll, the feeling of being run over by a car, basically, uh, as you start to think through things like death and um, not being able to live your dreams, just it's a terrible feeling. Then I've also talked about the beauty that um, can come with that um, and that, you know, often people become closer. And as I was saying to this woman this evening, um, you sort of experience a love that she could really relate to because everyone thinks they're going to lose you. <laughs> they tell you how much they love you. Um so there are, there's, I would never wish it on anyone, but there are some things that often come, come that are uh, um, uh, good from it. Um, I, I feel it changed my um, whole outlook on what sort of physical and mental um, well-being and care looks like. I think that's been quite a life shift as well, not for just me, but also for the people around me and probably as well at a public policy level. Speaking on the public policy level, 
I know it's easy for consultants uh, and people on the outside to decide how the health system should work. Uh, but from uh, you as someone who's gone through it, uh, where did you see the system working or, well, not working? Well, again, and you know, I'm going to uh, sort of keep my health stuff reasonably private, but what I would say is um, I think there are incredible m- medical professionals from nurses to doctors um, who are working around the clock, and my experience was very, very positive in terms of the care that they gave um, and give. I think the um, challenges that New Zealand has, some of them are very global around access to treatments and drugs, um, are very real and they worry me um, because I think this... The constant innovations and and new drugs that are coming through, um, it's just very difficult to keep up. And I know the government's doing a pharmac review, but there's just so much more that needs to occur. I mean, I still get people that message me um, who are in pretty challenging situations. So I think this issue of how do we continually keep stepping it up in terms of access to to treatments um, has got to be really front of mind. I think um, prevention as well. I mean, for a lot of people who get cancer, they never really know what caused it. Was it genetic? Was it um, a random mutation? Was it, um, uh, you know, something else in terms of dietary? And I think this issue of precision medicine and being continuing continuing to push the boat out to be more precise, um, in how we um, in how we continually monitor people's health is important. Um, make sure that people understand the basics around you. Might, it might be a genetic um, event, but your ability to um, recover could be influenced by your ability to sleep, your mental well-being, your diet, all of these things. Um, so, sort of um, that's why I was pretty passionate about changes, for instance, to the um, physical and health curriculum so yeah I mean you could probably get me all night on um on the subject around public policy but um I think if I was going to sum it up I'd say firstly a pretty significant culture shift so that everybody understands at least the environmental aspects um and there's a greater shift to self-care for people um, both physically and mentally, and then secondly, this capacity for governments to continually step it up to ensure that we are um, at the forefront of precision medicine and um, access to treatments, drugs. I can't remember specifically what my sister raised, uh, but she did mention that there were little things that she never expected uh, to have to deal with uh, when she was battling cancer. Uh, cancer um but some of them were while some were serious some of them could be quite light-hearted or just frankly unusual 
Uh, did you encounter anything like that? Um, I mean, I think um, my recollection is um, there were, at the time, everything happened so fast. So, you know, the, um, I mean, I was back at work. I was diagnosed in September. Um, and I came back into the cabinet room in January and I've said publicly um, I had a double mastectomy. Um, so I think this, um, you know, the first thing I'd say is a lot of that period I go back uh, was quite a blur um, for me personally. And, you know, even, I mean, one thing that stands out was um, – getting my will ready, um, uh, which I'd never even imagined to write a will. Um, and so you kind of, you know, suddenly forced to do that and having these conversations about my cats and who they would go to. Um, I remember, I remember that, which was, I just, you just kind of think shit at 36, how the hell is this? occurring that I'm working out how to divvy my cats up and um I also remember I mean it was unusual I guess this is an unusual thing for me um just the nature of the role was uh, we were having a conversation about how to tell my um over 90 year old grandmother because she watched the news every night so she sort of was um, forgetting things quite a bit. And we literally had this conversation, which is, well, I'm going to end up be being on the news, so we've got, we've got to tell her. Um, yeah, so you sort of have, it was a yeah, weird time. You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0. Welcome back. This is the second half of my interview with Nikki Kay. In 2016, you were diagnosed, went through the process. Uh, then by what, January 2017, you were back in Parliament, doing all sorts of things again. Uh, what was it like transitioning back into Parliament after a, a pretty full-on sort of five, six months? Um, I mean, I look back at pictures of myself and I think um, it was, I went back in a pretty quick manner. Um, in hindsight, it was pretty, pretty fast. Um, and again, as I've said to you, you know, I don't sort of talk about the detail of my health, but it was quite a big deal to be back there in, um, in January. I think... Um, People, I mean, the the love from the public was pretty phenomenal. Um, it's still, I mean, I still get people who, you know, um, they they um, acutely can relate to their family members, etc., and what occurred. So I felt a lot of love. I felt um, a, a lot of support. I've said it before from my colleagues um, in particular. Um, so I, I felt really supported basically. 
Uh, and come 2020, a whole heap of things happen. Uh, early in the year, the plague kicks off and all the lockdowns and all of that. And during a period of it, you become the deputy leader of national and the, of the opposition. Todd becomes the leader, uh, and that lasts for a pretty short time overall. Uh, I I don't want to ask where did it all go wrong, because I think I'd say a million other people have already asked that. Um, but given that uh, Todd has recently opened up more about opened more up about his mental health regarding the whole series of events um i'd be interested to know what was the toll on you well i think um i mean the first thing to say is you know obviously it's pretty um very difficult period one with todd and what happened to todd who's a i consider him a close friend so you're sort of dealing with that but then also being able to uh, deal with obviously the party then in a situation with a, a change of leadership. So I'd say, you know, I would describe it as a difficult period, but I do think um, that while I would never have chosen at all for anything like that to have occurred, um, for a variety of reasons, you know, I'm delighted to be out of politics so it's sort of um I'm also a very optimistic person so I think in part because of cancer I think while it's really important to be able to learn where you think you could have done better and um to learn the lessons of history there's to sort of um, dwell on that too much um, can be unhelpful and so I think I'm a pretty positive person and I'm I feel very fortunate to be able to have a, a bit of a life back and that's what happened you left politics and I think in a few interviews uh, leading up to your departure in 2020 you had mentioned doing a bit of gardening on Great Barrier Island uh, and I see you're a part of AUT Ventures. Uh, what have you been up to in the last, I suppose, 10 months uh, since the election? Well, I think a few things. One is um, I have bought some land on Great Barrier, um, so that's uh, taken a little bit of effort to work that through. Um I, as I said, have, as you've mentioned, gone on the board of AUT Ventures, which um, enables me to still contribute in education and I'm learning about startup um, ventures. I also have spent, I've had a really decent break as well. Um, I have nieces and nephews that I have not spent any time with and friends. So I've been having a pretty um, a decent break. But as I've sort of said to a few other people, um, I am um, working on a few things. It will be in the education area, um, specifically education technology. Um, but after sort of 100-hour weeks for 12 years, it's been really um, 
important for me, particularly in the lens of the previous conversation, to kind of get fit, um, to reconnect with friends and family, and then to to work through those next steps, not not in a, a fast manner, um, which has been my modus operandi for forty odd years. So this one doesn't come from my sister, but from my own experience, and it's going to get heavy for a moment, sorry. Well, heavier. Um, One of the things that happened after I tried to kill myself uh, and transitioned back into, I suppose, life, uh, was that I noticed that a good chunk of my time is filled with just doing the laundry, getting ready for work, the dishes, you know, boring little things. But I really noticed that I enjoyed those things. I I love those boring little moments, and I can't explain why. As someone who's also in a space to appreciate life more, do you... Do you get that? Does that happen to you? Well, well firstly, I um, feel a lot of araha for you um, in terms of what you've just shared. Um, and I, you know, obviously we're on a podcast, but I hope that you're doing okay um, and that you've got the support that you need. Um, yeah. So that would be the first thing that I'd say to you. Um, the second thing that I would say is, yeah, I mean, the I get a kick out of the smallest things because it's it's really hard to explain to people. I think I said actually in my leaving interview, I really just want to sit in my pajamas on a Wednesday night, be on my own couch um there i just i can i just cannot explain like being able to have lunch without having 50 emails or tasks ahead of me um i mean i'm a motive a pretty motivated person so i mean of course i i mean don't taste the wrong way, but we're doing this podcast, right? So, um, you know, there's 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 many things that I still do. I don't, but I I certainly a- am really enjoying normal living. Like, it, there's something quite yeah therapeutic about. Um, yeah, just being able to hang out with family, be able to do normal things. Have you had to train yourself to slow down? That's a really good question. I think that will be a struggle of my life um, in that um, I I will always struggle for that balance. Um, so even though, I mean, your question before, it's only really the last couple of months that I've actually felt like I've slowed down just the amount of kind of life admin that's backed up over <laughs> over 12 <laughs> years um to work through and just the change in life um 
just a variety of things sort of tied up with that. Um, and so I've actually been very, very deliberate about not taking up a range of roles um, in offers that I've had because I, you know, I really want to try and achieve some balance, which I find I've found difficult in the past. At the end of these profile type interviews, I like to ask some little questions. Nothing too big, but just to get the first thoughts that pop into your mind. What was the last thing that you ate? The last thing that I ate was some carrots. If you hadn't have spent the last 12 years in politics, what would you have liked to have done with that time? Um, become a mum. What inspires you? People and their um, capacity to be resilient, but also to be um, compassionate to others. What was the last thing that made you laugh? A a close to 90-year-old man. What was the last thing that made you cry? Um... A woman talking about colorectal, her colorectal cancer and how she never knew that her stepdaughter cared so much. Do you have a piece of advice for your younger self? Self-care is very important. Thank you, Nikki, for taking the time to speak with me. I do appreciate and admire your honesty. Uh, here in Te Aumutu, we have a cancer support group, Coffee and Chat, and those meet on the first Wednesday of each month, 10.30 to 11.30am at the Te Aumutu RSA. Additionally, if you're experiencing extreme mental distress, then I'd recommend the CATS team here in the Waikato. Their number is 0800 50 50 50. And that wraps up another show. You can find this and other episodes of The Locals on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search The Locals. And I'll post those links on the Dan Armstrong Waipaking Country Facebook page. We'll be back same time next Monday. But until then, thanks for listening. Cheers. Haere ra. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.